0: Welcome to Limitless, how to crush it in commercial real estate, the show that gets you inside access to how some of retail real estate's most successful leaders went from your average Joe Schmo to the CEO. I'm your host, Aaron Zucker. Today's guest needs no introduction. Beth Azor is everywhere, all the time, rocking the hell out of a red suit and making sure she is maximizing every second of her day, which is a huge reason why she went from being a junior leasing agent at Terranova to becoming the president in what seemed like no time. Usually that would warrant a guest spot within itself on my show. But what Beth went on to do from there is ultimately what will make her a legend in this business. Without further ado, here's Beth's story. Hey everybody, Aaron Zucker here, the host of Limitless, how to crush it in commercial real estate. Wanted to take a quick second and thank the guys over at Source, who are a phenomenal agency that helped me put together this idea of creating this podcast into a reality. They're willing and able to not only put together podcasts, podcast, but any other great marketing content that you may need. And I'd highly recommend reaching out to them. The lady who is everywhere, the canvassing queen, the shopping center owner, the leasing agent coach, the incredible mom, like you're literally everywhere all the time. How
1: about a good partner?
0: a phenomenal partner because she doesn't ask any questions after she signs the agreement and sends the check. I can vouch for that.
1: And I, and I have other people give you money too.
0: Yes, you do. How dare I leave that out of the part of the problem? She doesn't really need much of an introduction. It is Beth Azor. Beth, thank you so much for taking the time and joining me.
1: Oh, thank you for having me, Aaron. I love being on podcasts.
0: Well, it shows. You're on them all the time. You're everywhere, as, as I mentioned before. And that is a byproduct of you committing to being everywhere. So I think a lot of people are inspired by you. And that's from the 19 year old sophomore in college who's thinking about getting in real estate all the way up to the CEO of a family office or or a REIT that is a little bit gun shy on putting themselves out there on social media. I think you inspire such a wide gamut of people in this industry and hearing your story to getting to where you are today is something that I'm certainly excited to be a part of. And I know that the people listening are as excited as you can be about a podcast, to jump out of their seats (laughs) and listen. Oh my goodness.
1: You're putting a lot of pressure on me, Aaron.
0: That's okay. Luckily, all you have to do is just tell your story. So that being said, let's get right into it. Where are you from? How'd you grow up? Like, What was your upbringing like?
1: So I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So I'm a cheesehead in 1960. So I'm a ripe old age of 59. I don't look it, right?
0: You don't look a day older than like 39. Yeah. And you don't act a day older than 29. Good. I love you.
1: So my parents, my dad worked in a brewery.
0: Shocker. Yeah. (laughs) From Milwaukee.
1: Exactly. My mom was the executive assistant of the owner of the Milwaukee Bucks and she
0: ran an amusement park. I've known you eight years. I know I I did not know that. Yeah.
1: So we had season tickets right behind the Milwaukee Bucks bench when Lou Cinder. Do you know who Lou Cinder is?
0: Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Exactly.
1: Well, he was Lou Cinder when we had season tickets. And won the national championship. So I was, you know, ten years old running around the Milwaukee Arena during the playoffs. Wow! So my father's parents had a bar. Think okay. think corner bar in a neighborhood in Milwaukee. In neighborhoods, there were corner bars like Cheers.
0: I was just going to ask you, was it was just it like, like Cheers? Cheers? Got it.
1: And my grandfather had a stroke, so my dad and mom were brought in to run the bar. We lived upstairs from the bar. From probably the age of four on. We moved from that bar to another submarket in Milwaukee called Greenfield, where they bought and owned their own bar. So, not the hand me down of the grandparents. And we lived upstairs from that bar. And from that, I was in third grade. So, I was about eight or nine. And my job every day was to empty the bottle chute, the bottle chute was the recycling of beer bottles and soda bottles that went into the basement and sometimes got broken and cut up. And I got a nickel, a bottle, and you put it in the cases that then the beer companies and the soda companies came and took them away and brought you the new replacements.
0: I'm sure those bottles smelled great.
1: Great. Awesome. Sticky, smelly, and sometimes cuts on my hand.
0: You're eight least, years old and you started working?
1: Yes. Eight years old. A nickel, a bottle. It was Making, great. Good that's, money. That's big money. I went and took the money to the candy store and you know got candies. So I was the product of entrepreneurs and my mom was organized events. So they understood you need to have an experience in the retail setting. So they 19, had
0: in the 60s, 1967
1: your parents and 1968, 1969, she had, they would do Milwaukee bucks trips with buses They would do every Sunday in the summer. We would close the bar, the tavern, and they'd go out to Whitnow Park and have volleyball games and take kegs out there. She understood that you needed to be like a cheers. They had a bowling league, a pool league. In the bowling league, they'd have Halloween costumes. The pictures and the memories of all of this activity and this membership that she created blows me away today. And I remember Friday nights. Their goal was to make $3,000 on Friday and Saturday nights in a bar in 1969. So they were not doing bad. But they had the following. They made the place a membership place to hang out. Which took time to build up. For sure. And Absolutely. hard work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which so
0: reeks coming out of you. And right, I'm, I'm going to say Huge reek- work ethic. Yeah. So
1: my mom was a workaholic. My dad was the dreamer. Luckily, I, and my mom was the worrywart. And my dad was the dreamer. Now, my dad also was an alcoholic and at the age of 11, went into rehab and then obviously had to stop being the bartender (laughs) because, you know, being in that environment when he came out of rehab did not bode well for his health. That makes sense. So he got his real estate license. Okay. And he sat at the kitchen table with a phone book. Aaron, do you know what a phone book is?
0: I do. We used it to prop up stuff when I was a kid. I'm kidding. I I do. I do remember the phone book. So
1: he got hired by ITT and he sold lots in Florida. And he literally sat at the dining room table with the phone book and cold called people and said, do you want to retire and own a lot in Florida for $500 and $10 a month?
0: This was what year?
1: 19... 70, so it's 1971, 1972. You know,
0: 1972. I got to tell you, in hindsight, pretty good pitch because there's a lot of people who would have jumped at the, the opportunity to do that now.
1: And I think that he did it during like winter. He was smart. My dad was smart. And my dad listened to motivational tapes, cassette tapes.
0: It's so funny, Beth, because I'm learning so much about you, even though we've known each other for so long. And like, when you hear your story and you're hearing about your parents already in the first, call it seven minutes of this interview... It's really adding up to me very quickly on how you are where you are. <laughs> so he
1: cold, so literally cold called. I've watched him. He listened to motivational tapes. And then when I was 14, um, on what we'd call a junket. So he would fly to Florida with people that he was showing the lots to. And it was over Christmas. And he took my mom and I. And before we came home, two weeks later, we had bought a house. Okay. So now this we have is what year is this? 1974. So you're I'm 14. 14. So I come home, and I'm in a parochial ninth grader in a Catholic school, high school, huge school, and we buy a house. We're going to close on March 15th. This is Christmas to March 15th. They have to sell the bar. We have a cottage in up north Wisconsin. We owned my grandmother's house. We owned three lots around the bar for future expansion. They had a lot of real estate to dump. I'm 14, so they're 42. They're both passed away now, but I regret that I never comprehended. Now at 59, I can't comprehend uprooting your life at the age of 42 and moving to a new state and leaving everything behind and having to sell all of that in 90 days. It, was, it, it blows me away when I think about that.
0: I have so many questions, but what, what did they do with you? I mean, you're, you're a freshman yeah, in high school. But, so
1: I'm a freshman in high school with 600 people in my freshman class and I'm gonna move to Florida and live up near the beach. I was all all in. I don't mind change. Right. I'm like adapting. You
0: were always like that.
1: Well, I was like that then. So you I'm were like, an only what? child, Let's... correct? No. I have a sister who's nine years older than me. So she was out of the house, married, and I think had a child. Yeah. My niece was born when I was 11. So she was married and had a daughter and they stayed in Wisconsin for a little bit. They ended up joining us. So I moved to Florida, 14 years old, in April 1st, started in ninth grade in a new school, public school for the first time in my life. With like a, public a month school, left. With like two months two left. Two months left. But my parents said, you need to go and start school so you can meet people. Oh, really? And I'm like, yeah, let's go. I remember the first day. Very
0: Beth-like of you. Well,
1: I remember the first day I, they put me in a home economics class, which in Wisconsin, I was in all like college prep classes. So now I'm in this home ec class.
0: Which I'm sure you just took a well, loving to. I, I was too. just
1: sitting there You know, they had to stick me in some classes. And really, the purpose was not the education. The purpose was the networking, right? And I'm sitting in the class and the teacher says, we're going to talk about childcare today. You know, some of you in the class are mothers. And I laughed out loud, ninth grade, and there were two young girls in the room that were mothers. And I went home and I told my parents, but the nearest Catholic high school was 20 miles away. We moved to a small town called Flagler Beach, and the population at the time was 4,000.
0: Things so th- have changed a little bit.
1: Exactly. So they had to say, do we want to drive her every day to Father Lopez in Daytona, which is 25 miles away, or should we keep her in this public school where there are young ladies that are mothers? Right. So, anyway, I ended up staying at that school and that high school, and it was phenomenal because, as you can imagine, I was a flag girl in the band. Then I became a cheerleader. Then I was the editor of the school newspaper. You know, I was very involved in the high school. And I remember sitting in the cafeteria one day and the, the softball coach walks in and goes, would you play softball? I go, well, I never had. He goes, well, you look good. I think you can do it. Come out. And then I became the start pitcher. Everyone did everything because there was such a small amount sure. of people. So you could be a big fish in a small pond there, which really, really helped me because I was one of 600 in Wisconsin. I just could really perform. The competition wasn't that right. great.
0: No, that, and there's something to be said for trying everything and And being a a big fish in a small pond, I get that. That makes sense.
1: So graduate high school, I wanted to be a
0: Florida gator. I can't even believe my ears right now. Because
1: that was what everyone wanted to be when you lived in Flagler, because Gainesville was close. Right, yeah, you're not far. I really didn't know anything about Florida State. And everyone applied to both back then. And everyone got into both back then. The gators sent me a letter and said, Dear Beth, congratulations, you're a gator, but you need to start in June. I'm like, oh my God, I I was going to work all summer. I had two jobs lined up. I know that shocks you too. And the next day I got the letter from Florida State that said, congratulations, you're a Seminole. See you in September. And I became a Seminole. And that's how you decided to go to Florida
0: State. No visits, no, No. oh, they have the major that I'm interested in. Or, you know, I really feel like the culture of the school is better. It's based on the start date. Yep. Love that. Okay.
1: So always worked. I was the babysitter. I cleaned hair salons. I cleaned motel rooms. I worked always, always, always made money, loved making money, loved having the independence of making money. Did
0: you do anything entrepreneurial? Like, did you flip anything? Like, Kevin Cush was flipping cars in high school, I learned yesterday.
1: No, I just always worked. I never really wanted to be the entrepreneur. I never really wanted to be the boss. I was always just very happy doing a good job and making money and always working really hard. I worked at a hotel. I was the front desk clerk. I did banquets on the weekends when they needed me. This is while you are in college. In high school and then college. So in high school, we had a a Sheridan hotel nearby. By now, my sister has moved down. She's working at the Sheridan. I get a job at the Sheridan and I go to Florida State and every Christmas, holiday and summer, I'm working at the Sheridan. Like I come home for Christmas and they put me on the schedule for two weeks.
0: Your parents obviously did okay, at least in Wisconsin.
1: They came down to do real estate.
0: Did they require you to work or this is just in your DNA? Like you wanted it was spending my money. D- I
1: wanted spending money. They were not going to give me spending money.
0: And I think there's something to be said for that.
1: And they did buy me my first car. It was $300. Right. You know, it's like a Chevy Dodge Dart or something. Right. I don't know.
0: Which you can barely get one of those on a monthly payment, 300 bucks now. Exactly. Got it. Okay. So
1: went to college, lived in a dorm, year two, RA in the dorm, loved being the RA in charge on the resident assistant on the floor. Telling
0: everybody to everybody, do it. Let's get together and do this. Exactly. Do, yeah, I did things. Yeah. I created events all
1: the time. And then my junior year, I joined a sorority. And then I was a little sister at a fraternity, met my future husband, my boyfriend. We're having so much fun at college. We both... T- called our parents and said, if we stayed a fifth year and got a double major, we'd be more valuable, which was all BS because we just wanted to stay in college for the year. I extra did the year. same
0: thing. I got a graduate school degree to hang back and yeah. run the bar. Like I get it.
1: Exactly. So college was great. I was very involved in the sorority and I ran Greek week the last year I was there for the whole campus. So that's 17 fraternities, 18 sororities, and I and another guy representing the fraternities ran Greek week. It was an astounding success. And they do things today that we did at that one that they still are doing today. That's pretty cool. So cool. We raised like the most money ever for muscular dystrophy. From that experience, my goal in life was to go run the Olympics. I love... Oh, really? Yeah. I wanted to go run the Olympics. My degree was in... Well, I started as an English literature degree thinking I was going to do law with a communications minor. But after all of those special events, activities, I wanted to go run the Olympics. So I leave Florida State. I become a chapter consultant for my sorority and traveled the country for a year.
0: I got offered a job like that out of and, school. And you
1: know, you make no money, but you have a lot of fun. And I was all about that. And traveling. And so I did that for a year. And then I joined the Heart Association in Miami because my boyfriend, who I eventually married, lived in Miami. He had already gone and gotten a job down in South Florida. And I got a job at the Heart Association being a special events director. Right. Started making $11,000 a year. Which, Big money. Which is today about 30. And I had a roommate and I couldn't make ends meet. So I had my license since I was 18. During college, during summers, I'd work at the hotel at night, but I would sit open houses for my parents during the day. Got it. And I would make no money, but when people would come into the open house, if they ended up selling the house or the condo later, I'd get a small check, which was great. So working at the Heart Association, so I said, okay, I need a weekend job at a real estate, like at some development. So I got a job as a model sitting open, not a model, but you know, at sitting models at open right. houses, making $50 a day for 400 bucks extra a month was a good supplement to my $11,000 Heart Association yeah, job. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I That's loved, like a 30% pay raise, just exactly. on putting in the extra time. But
1: seven days a week at 22, when all your friends are out partying every weekend. But so I did that for two years straight. And my Heart Association job went from 11 grand to 23 grand in two years.
0: Why? Were you promoted? I was
1: promoted. I kept getting raises, promote. I was doing a phenomenal job. And then my last raise, $23,000 in two years, my executive director calls me in and she goes, we love you, but your ambition exceeds us. So you should go do the real estate thing full-time and just volunteer for us. Wow. She goes, I'm the executive director and I make 30.
0: And you ain't having that. I'm
1: like, what a great thing for her to do. Yeah, I mean,
0: you have to be eternally grateful for what she said to you.
1: Absolutely. So the weekend job... I was now making commissions. They really wanted me to come full-time. So I said, okay. And they were pressuring me. So it was kind of a perfect timing. So I dropped the heart. I go work for the real estate gig full-time. And I'm sitting in a trailer five days a week, reading People magazines. And I, I wanted to shoot myself. And I went to the developer and I said, we need to do marketing and we need to like plan events. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm building luxury homes. You just sit, read People magazines and wait for the people to walk in the door. That lasted about three months. And one Mother's Day weekend, a young lady walked in the door by the name of Susie Hazy. And Susie Hazy, who currently now works for Kimco, she was a leasing agent. And we became pals. She was just helping the developer out because her boss was the son of my developer. She said, you need to get into commercial real estate. And I said, gross, selling land? That's more boring than this. Because no, there's this thing called leasing. And Developers build shopping centers with grocery stores, and then we leasing agents put in bagel shops and ice cream stores, and we help people achieve their American dream. And once you do that, you get invited to every wedding, bar mitzvah, baptism, you're part of the family. And I said, sold. How do I get that gig?
0: Put things into context for us. What year is this?
1: 1983.
0: And what's the market like?
1: For commercial, I have no idea. But residential was booming. I was selling houses, $350,000 houses.
0: So so I'm a big believer that in general, people's success obviously comes from hard work, but there's often times that our breaks come from luck. Being a part of South Florida in general, moving there in the 60s, 70s, and being a part of of your career in the 80s certainly couldn't have hurt.
1: We're blessed every day I live in South Florida versus Des Moines. Nothing against Des Moines, but
0: you'd be surprised. Des Moines on fire, but yeah, I understand. But you know what the point. I mean, like yeah. South
1: Florida. You know, because population cures all ills. Correct. And when you have a million people moving to your state every year, how do you not win there? So she says you can't come work for my boss because you work for his dad and he'll be ticked off. There's a company in Miami that has a training program called Terra Nova. Oh. And call there, and I bet you can get the job. So I, the next day I called Tara I go, I hear you have a training program for leasing agents. They said, we do. I go, Who, who's in charge of that? And they said, Donna Abood. I went, Donna Abood that went to Florida State? I said, yeah, she went to Florida State. I'm like, she's my sorority sister.
0: How did you know Donna? She's not your age, is she?
1: She's a year older than me. Oh. So she picks up the phone. She goes, Beth from Florida State. I'm like, yeah, she goes, you're hired. Just come meet the boss. And I drove down and I, I walked into the office, Aaron. It was 800 square feet. There were 11 people. Aaron, I am telling you that every hair on my body stood up, walking into the front door.
0: You were like a kid in a candy store. I just,
1: and, and I started in office leasing, but I walked in and something about that office and the industry, I knew nothing about it, but I knew I was in the right place. And obviously I was there 18 years I helped take the company from 11 people to over 125.
0: So it's 1983.
1: No, now I'm wrong. So I started at Terranova in 86. So 83 is when I joined the Heart Association. I was there two years till 85, mid 85 to 86. I was at the, you know, six months at the residential gig. So I started in at Terranova, November of 1986.
0: And you walk in and it's like a drug to you. It slaps you in the it, face it, instantaneously. I didn't know,
1: it slapped me in the face and I had no idea what I was even doing.
0: Then what happens?
1: So the story, which is in Don't Say No for the Prospect, is I sit down, they give me the HR paperwork and Stephen and Donna leave for a meeting. I'm like, it's 9.30 and I, I don't
0: know what to do. So Donna is your boss. She's
1: my trainer and my boss. And, and she
0: Stephen, just to put this in the context for our listeners, is the owner of She's Taranella. the owner,
1: Stephen Battelle. So they leave and they said, we'll be back. Fill out this HR paperwork, which I do in 10 minutes. Right.
0: So I get out a phone book. I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh. On the guys. I'm just not book. surprised at all.
1: And I look up Sir Speedy. You know what Sir Speedy is? No idea. It was like the predecessor of FedEx, Kinko's. Okay. And there were hundreds of them. And there were 1,200 square feet. It was like literally Kinko's, but like Starbucks. They were on every corner. And remember, I am going to be trained to lease office space, but I don't understand what that is. And all I know is commercial real estate, multiple locations. That's all I know, because I'm not trained. I'm literally an hour and a half on the job. So I pick up a phone book. I look up Sir Speedy. It's got like 20 locations in the white pages. It says corporate. I call corporate. I go, hi. I'm in commercial real estate. We help people find locations. Are you looking for any locations? And I'm thinking the retail locations, not understanding what they're about to train right. me to do, office. Right. And he goes, I'm so, so interesting that you called. I'm looking for a new corporate headquarters.
0: I'm looking for a new corporate office. the first phone call you've ever yes, made. Yes,
1: first phone call I've ever made. Not, by the way, it for people better. who are
0: looking to get it in the industry, that is never, not how it works.
1: And he goes, my office is in Davie, Florida, which you know I now live yeah, in. It. You do you know a think
0: about Davie. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So, and we're in Miami. I goes, can you come meet with me tomorrow? I'm like, yes, what time? And he goes, two o'clock. I'm like, yeah, I'll be there. And didn't know to ask any questions. So Donna and Steven come back in the office and I go, guess what? We have an appointment tomorrow at two o'clock to show Sir Speedy Corporate headquarters Office. And they're looking at me like I have four heads. And Donna goes, I can't go. I have an appointment. You're going to have to go by yourself.
0: When Steven's like...
1: Steven's like, I, yeah, we got a winner here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, she'll be fine. So
1: she says, just go and ask a lot of questions. Well, it turns out that the corporate headquarters, he was in an executive suite uh-huh. and he wanted an office for him and his assistant. So he wanted to go from 150 square feet to, 600. to like, yeah, 600. Yeah. But I ended up tenant repping him. Whoa. And got him a location. And this is how interesting life is. The guy, this is my first deal ever. It was probably signed within three months. And the guy who we signed a lease with, the landlord, sold me Shops of Arrowhead 20 years later. No
0: way. Who was it?
1: Mark Stelnick. And when Barry Wolf listed Shops of Arrowhead and I said, I'm going to buy Shops of Arrowhead, I had no idea. And then Barry said, so the owner wants to meet with you. He thinks he remembers that you did a deal once a long time ago. And I said, who is it? He goes, Mark Stelnick.
0: How could you forget? My first deal ever. That is ridiculous. Fate. I mean, that's unbelievable. All right. So you sourced a lead within 10 minutes of starting in the business, which is, again, not discounting your ambition and hard work. That's ridiculous. That's also very lucky. Absolutely. And it turns into a deal, which is amazing. Which I made like, you know, $300. But it probably felt like $3 million. Of course.
1: Here's the thing. I didn't realize how big that was. Like, Stephen later talks about how, like, they were freaking Source out. The in on your the, first day. Right.
0: And, and you but what? I
1: didn't know. I didn't, I thought, this is what we're supposed to do.
0: Could you imagine if Kara walked in and that happened today? Yeah. I mean, like, exactly. nuts. Nuts. Yeah. I mean, I was fortunate enough to get a lease signed in my first seven weeks. I was like, yeah, like, let's go. Like, this is normal. And, exactly. And like... It's not.
1: How about like the phone book and then the dad with the phone book, you know?
0: There's an unbelievable lesson to be told from that. Like the fact that you just picked up the phone and started calling. Like you didn't ask, ooh, how do I do this or how should I do this? Which may have been a wise thing to do, but they left you and you wanted to be productive. You wanted to create value. And so doing that from ten minutes into the business and and still doing that to today is awesome. It's an inspirational story and doesn't shock me one bit for anybody that knows you out there. So So you make an office deal, then then what happens?
1: So now they're going to train me in office and we get where it's me and three other people. And we get trained by Donna. She was a wonderful trainer. You know, we had to read leases back then the office market was, if you signed three or 4,000 square feet in the office market in a high rise tower, you got a year to 18 months free. That was the market.
0: Whoa. why? Why? That was
1: the market. I guess it was oversupply and under demand, right? Yeah, that's only. And so we, she taught us about market, about market studies, and that was our job a lot. And office buildings had these networking events every night of the week. And this is one of the the marketing messages I learned: if we walked into one of those networking events with five people, people thought that there were ten of us. Like go in mass. And then I learned and further emphasized it when I was at Terranova. If you're all wearing the same thing, if you're all wearing red or if you're all wearing camouflage or if you're all wearing green, you look double and triple the size you are as a team. Crack does that. Well, right, I guess where Crack got it from? 80% of the Crack employees used to be Terranova
0: employees. There you so. go. To put the context, Crack is a, a very strong, I'm going to call them bootsies. And now they're tallers. Right. Yeah, which was a brokerage firm down in South Florida, multi-asset class retail office that was recently bought by Collier's, which Collier's doesn't just run around and buy anybody. So it's, it's interesting. And the fact that I even thought about that shows the the power associated with that. And Beth has carried that into her business today. I've never seen her at a conference not wearing red. Right.
1: So I learned in office, I got my first office building. There they, they were training four of us. I was the first one to get my own listing. And then three months in, I thought, Office leasing was the most boring thing ever, but I canvassed, I was doing deals. The office building that we it was a third-party listing, the guy gets foreclosed on. And literally, I get a call, you got to get out of the building. Like it was bizarre. So I'm back in the main headquarters because I was on site at that office building. And I hear Steven and Donna trying to hire a retail leasing agent for a property in Boynton Beach, which was about 45 minutes from our office.
0: They wanted to third-party it out? Did Taranova own the site? No, we
1: didn't. We only owned at that point one deal. We did all third party. Okay. All of the office buildings we did were third party. He owned uh, part of a big retail center in Miami, 350,000 square feet. And he owned a couple of small office parks, but that was about it. But back then, the savings and loan industry had crashed. There was an organization called FADA, F-A-D-A, which was like the Federal Asset Disposition Corporation, which then became the RTC. And we became a service provider of choice. So every time they foreclosed on a property, we would get the call. Nice. And it was great. And so we had this property in in Boynton Beach. It was a brand new 200,000 square foot Winn-Dixie, hadn't even opened the first Winn-Dixie marketplace. And Stephen's trying to find a leasing agent to lease it. And they're interviewing people and they can't find anyone that they like. And I'm overhearing them and I'm back to doing market studies. They want to put me on another office building. And I said, Hey, I'll drive to Boyton if you pay me mileage. Teach me how to do retail. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, I lived in North Miami. It's about a 45 minute drive. Just pay me mileage. I would love to learn retail. And that was the rest of the story. About a year later, I had 13 shopping centers I was leasing up in the Palm Beach County area. And then I grew through the company. I became the leasing, like director of leasing. I started hiring other leasing people. And then, you know, eventually became the president of the company.
0: So You've had massive success at very quickly in the brokerage world with Terra Nova, but it can't all be smooth sailing. There has to be one really good embarrassing story along the way.
1: Are, is that a tee up right there?
0: It is. So, it is. I've gotten that from everybody. But what I love about you is you're so forthcoming and that you're willing absolutely. To, share, to share your failures with others to help them learn. And so I'm, I'm interested to see which one you pick.
1: So, well, this is the famous one. This is two years into that Boynton Beach listing. I've got 17 assets, more or less, that I'm leasing up there. And I was leasing a project called Ritchie Plaza. And Ritchie Plaza was about 40,000 square feet, L-shaped strip center that was in Lake Worth. And there was a Sherwin-Williams out parcel that blocked the visibility and exposure for pretty much the entire shopping center. It was completely vacant except for one tenant called the Thirsty Camel, which was a bar. So. We have an end cap and it's great end cap right on Lake Worth Road. Lots of visibility
0: and exposure. What type of rent could you get on that thing? I'm just curious.
1: Probably 20.
0: Oh, wow. 20 bucks a foot back yeah. then was that, that's big yeah. rent.
1: Because, but everything else in the center was like six.
0: Well, because this, is, this is the only, cap.
1: yeah, prime end cap. So we, I get a call one day on a guy, at, and this is now 88, 87, 88, And he's on a cell phone. And no one had cell phones, but it was a crackling. So
0: that's the first alarm that you probably should.
1: Absolutely. First alarm. First I, I,
0: I see the stress in your face. It oh my God. still bothers you. To arrogant,
1: today. arrogant. And I could hear that he's on a cell phone and he's like, hi, I'm calling about your end cap at Ritchie Plaza. I'm like, awesome. What do you do?" And He goes, well, I'm going to start a new chain and it's going to be video store.
0: He said chain.
1: He said, I'm going to, st- I'm starting a new concept. This is going to be my prototype. I'm going to franchise. Aaron, how many times have you heard that in your career? Many times.
0: Yeah, of course. Okay.
1: So I'm like, okay, sir, I'm sure you are. And I believe I actually said those words. I truly believe my arrogance because I was leasing 17 shopping centers. How
0: mad are you at yourself right now even telling the story? it, It
1: is. So I'm like, I'm sure you are, sir. But I have 17 shopping centers. This is the only one that doesn't have a video store. And all the other ones are 1,200 square feet. So I don't know, this space is 6,000 square feet. He goes, yeah, I want 6,000 square feet. I go, what are you going to do in 6,000 square feet? And he goes, no, I'm going to start a video store. And I'm like, okay, well, sir, you know, not here. Yeah. I said, we have electrical and plumbing stubbed in and my boss wants it to be a restaurant. So I can't help you. And he goes, well, I really like it. Can I give you my cell phone number? Again, alarm, like this guy's going to give me his cell phone number. Let me give you my name and my number, and if your boss changes his mind, I'd really love to talk to you guys about the send I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. And back then we had prospect sheets. You know, you didn't have a CRM, so I go, "What's your name?" and I'm writing his name, and he goes, Wayne Heisinger, and
0: for- Beth. Why don't you summarize Wayne Heisinga and what exactly. he what he was up to exactly? Since then.
1: So he ended up becoming the owner of the Miami Dolphins, the Miami Marlins, and the Panthers, and the he- Florida Panthers. Yeah, Florida the Florida Panthers, team. and this is where you have to ask questions, right? Because had I said, sir, what do you do now? He would have said, I'm the CEO of Waste Management.
0: But I didn't ask him that. A little company. Right.
1: And I probably would have given him some benefit of the doubt that he could have maybe pulled off this new...
0: I think you're giving yourself too much credit. I think if you had asked the question, I'm going to call you out, Beth. I think if you had asked the question, you probably would have got up, hung up the phone, drive to his office and said, I would love to help you with your rollout.
1: Exactly. For sure. So, and I was doing tenant rep back then too. I was just starting to do that. So he ended up starting this company called Blockbuster Video. So what was humorous is a year later, so when you did your prospect sheets, you would put them in an expandable file, in like this Redwell file that you had months split out. So every month, and you would put your prospect sheets like, okay, well, this isn't a real lead, so I'm going to put it 12 months later. Literally 12 months later, I pull out those prospect sheets, and there it and says Wayne Heisinga, And I put on the sheet, I, I wish I had this. I put on the sheet, like, ha, 6,000 square foot video yeah, store. Yeah, look
0: who's laughing now. Yeah, exactly. So to put it in context, Blockbuster Video, for the younger listeners out there, ended up opening thousands of stores across yes. the country. And for those of you who are skeptical, like, well, you know, it didn't work out anyway. They ended up folding, which Blockbuster did, but not when Wayne owned it. Wayne sold it for a gajillion dollars, just like everything he touched.
1: What was funny is about five years after that, in the height of Blockbuster, he was the keynote speaker at the Florida... ICSE, where I was the chairperson oh, of the ICSE, wow. and we sat next to each other on the dais.
0: Did he remember?
1: I told him the story. He didn't remember. Oh. I told him. I said, "So I have a little story. We have a past," yes. and I and I shared the story. And then he just wonderfully got up and shared that story with the 600 people in the room, which is fine because I'm a teacher.
0: Yeah, yeah. Everyone was laughing. Got it. So embarrassing stories. We've checked that box here. Yeah. That one's tough because it it could have led to more, but but I would argue that the the information and what you were able to learn from it was probably- Invaluble. Invaluable. Invaluable.
1: Invaluable.
0: You could define it at 4% of tenant rep fees across a yeah, few yeah. hundred stores across Florida, but we won't do that. We won't, we won't that. go there, yeah. We won't, we won't make it that hard on you. So you're doing great at Terranova. Certainly you had mentors along the way.
1: Oh, for sure. Well, Stephen Battelle, my boss, my partner, I would not be here today without him. He was gender blind. There was no glass ceiling. Anything I wanted to try or do, he was a proponent. What do you need to do to learn how to do it? Either I'll teach you, I'll send you to a class. It was always a learning environment. He always kept an open mind. He was brilliant, the most brilliant person I've ever worked with.
0: So I've had the opportunity to get to know Stephen through you, and he's got the it factor. He's a dynamic guy, and for you to have direct exposure to him back when Terra Nova was a little shop, I'm sure has played an insurmountable amount of credit toward
1: contribution to my future in my career.
0: Yeah. Who were your other mentors? Did you have any other mentors?
1: Donna Bood was a great trainer, and she was a woman rock star in the industry. She left very soon after, probably within two years after I was at Terranova to start her own boutique firm, and I got to watch that and watch her grow. And I'm always a learner. So the guys that wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul. You know, I'm a big reader. So a lot of my mentors are people that I see that have been successful out. You know, Vince Lombardi, you know, Green Bay Packer fan. So my husband, we're not married anymore, but my husband was very ambitious. And I looked up to him as a mentor. He was very smart, a CPA, a big numbers guy. You're a mentor of mine. I remember-
0: That's crazy to hear. I
1: remember sitting in Park City- at the Phillips Edison retreat and you just asking questions, asking questions, asking questions. And I thought this guy, this guy is 24 years old or however, I, I was inspired by your quest or hunger or thirst for learning. Yeah. So I try to learn from everyone.
0: I'm humbled that you, first of all, remember that conversation at No Name Saloon in Park City, right? Where, right. where if you're ever out there, Fred Reynolds is like the mayor of that place. That's who you need to know, Philip Edison. And it's so funny that you, that you have that, uh, that thought process to think of Think of me as a mentor because I'm asking you questions on how to learn.
1: But I mean, what you're doing with Zig is so inspirational. I was at Terranova for 18 years. I never really wanted to go open my own thing ever. I was very happy being an employee and a partner and and the president. I I didn't want to even be the president. He kept wanting me, me to be the president. The only reason I became the president was he got an opportunity with Lehman Brothers, you know, who used to be a big player in, in our world. And they gave him $600 million to go buy gas stations around the country. Sure. And the only way that they'd give him that money is if he wasn't the president of Nova. So he made me a deal to come in and be the president for two years. I ended up being the president for six years and I tripled the fee income of the business. But I was never wanted to be the president, never wanted to go on my own Very happy being the worker bee.
0: So let's talk about that because a lot of people that are listening to this don't necessarily want to go out on their own. And I think part of the value in this conversation is understanding how you became the president of Nova, because I think that that's a goal that's more real for a lot of the listeners than maybe going out on your own like you've since done. So tell me a little bit more about how you went from being a leasing agent to a leasing director? I mean, was it through production? Was it?
1: It was through production and ideas. So I was that second year leasing agent working on C&D assets, like Richie Plaza with the Thirsty Camel. I used to look around and I would say to Stephen, I want to lease a public center. Like this stuff's crap, but I leased it great. So I leased the crap great. If you can lease the bad stuff, and I always tell rookie agents that call me that are frustrated, I'm getting the bad stuff of the portfolio. Hey, if you can lease the bad stuff, you'll get
0: to the good stuff quicker. Correct, David Roth, the byproduct of that, right? Like, yeah, totally. So I did the
1: bad stuff. Good, I didn't complain, but I did say, "How do we get the good stuff? You know, how does the RTC give us the good stuff? Well, the good stuff's not getting foreclosed on." So he said, "Go find the stuff you want to lease, see who's leasing it, see who owns it, and then come back to me, and we'll go pitch it." So. I started doing that. So I started being the biz dev of new listings.
0: You just started doing it. It wasn't it wasn't like a role within TerraNova that you wanted or
1: No, and there was no role and I didn't say pay me first and then I'll do it.
0: Right. Which
1: is a lot of people say, "Well, sure. promote me and then I'll do it." Right. I didn't that was never in my DNA. Great
0: great lesson to be had there.
1: Yeah, so I just went and did it and then because all of a sudden now I we have five new public centers releasing And managing and the fee income is he's like oh she's pretty good at that so that's probably when i got promoted to leasing director and then vp of leasing i have no idea
0: i i you have an idea i mean come on give me well
1: i became the president in 97 so it was somewhere between 90 and 95 that i had multiple promotions got it so and then i started hiring and then what happened was is i would hire people from competitive companies and they'd come into our company and never make it like we could not cross lateral hire because we had a really strong work ethic mentality and culture we went to an ICSE so you had to be at the booth at 7 30 and you had to be wearing the costume of the week whether that's camouflage or we wore garbage man suit I mean we'd all, all kinds of crazy marketing things to get attention. We had big business cards that said this would not work today. Size matters. Yeah, that's the, politically and incorrect. And the cards were double the size of typical business cards. And we had people walking around the ICSE, stilt walkers, handing out our size matters, whatever thing we were handing out. I mean, wow. we, to get attention. And I was kind of the marketing person behind that. And people didn't like it. But you know, again, just get our name spelled right. So The more that people knew us, the more they'd interview us. And we would go into a pitch, and we would win every third-party management and leasing pitch. We had almost no competition. But I couldn't hire because we were crazy. People thought, you expect too much from your agents. You make them work too hard. We had a curfew rule at ICSE, 11 o'clock. Like I, I didn't do bed checks, but we were very strict. So because I couldn't hire someone from CB to come do that, they're like, screw that. I had to hire and train. So I started hiring kids like you out of college who I thought had a good work ethic, who we paid double, but for the kids who liked the money and who would go with us on the culture and see how successful we were, that's how I grew my training. Who who were
0: some of those people?
1: Oh, so Hugh Chen. Sure. Mindy McElroy, who now runs Terranova. Erica DeRoche, Laura Lynch, Ellen Eskenazi. Sure. Alan Eskenazi, when he came to us, he was the perfumania fixture
0: guy for Outlet Malls. Alan is a heavy hitter for this. He, who don't he know reps him.
1: target coals and lows. Yeah,
0: he does okay. Yeah. Yeah, he does okay. Uh, to say the least.
1: Steve Hennenfeld. Wow. I mean
0: So you're producing a factory.
1: I was producing a factory, and but what happened was I'd burn them out. And then my competitors who didn't spend the time and money training could offer a ten thousand dollar bonus and I would lose them. So then I had to start working on the culture and kind of relaxing the culture. Right. But when we were in that heyday of growing and working and, you know, we exploded. We went from 11 people to 100 people quickly. And I was part of that.
0: The cool part about your story is, is you just started doing that stuff and the titles came after.
1: Right. You said, how did I get to be the president? Well,
0: you did the work at the president. And then they just said, exactly. oh, Beth, Beth, you're the president. Exactly.
1: By the way. I said, I got the listings. I created a culture. I created a marketing. I wasn't the head of marketing. I just said, we got to market ourselves. I started training people. And that was my job. I, you know, I had to lease properties. I tenant repped. I trained people. So I just, and then I said, I want to start selling shopping centers. He goes, okay. <laughs> and so I sold a couple shopping centers. Whoa, I didn't know that. Investment sales. I didn't know that. So we had two properties in Weston for principal mutual life. We had taken the NOI from, I don't know, 500000 to 900000 yeah. and they want to go hire some investment sale guy. And I'm like, BS, I just created all that value. You need to hire us. But we didn't do that. And I said, I promise you, I will get you the best price. I said, I'll beat a nine cap, which was not heard of back then, back then and that's 1996. I said I'll get I'll get you a nine cap.
0: Yeah, just to kind of put it in context, interest rates were substantially higher than yeah. they are now, which is probably what drove.
1: And I was reading the Shopping Centers Today magazine and saw that American Realty Advisors in California had paid an eight three five cap. I probably have my cap rates wrong, but whatever they were paying lower cap rates in California. I called American Realty and said you should come invest in Florida. I think my numbers are wrong. I think it was. I think people were selling public centers in the seven and a half cap rate. And I said, I'm going to get it with a six in front of it. And I didn't even really understand cap rates. And I did. I sold Weston Lakes Plaza for a six, nine, five cap. I had never sold a shopping center. I didn't even know what cap rates were, but I knew the value I created. I knew the story I could tell. And I researched who's paying a lot for shopping centers Yeah. and brought them down and we sold it to them. Wow. And at the at in Phoenix at the annual Principal Mutual Life retreat, I got the Schmap rate, Award because I truly I'm there with like Mark Gilbert I'm all these I I had no idea what I was doing, <laughs> but we got big huge payday.
0: It's funny how hard work can pay off even if you don't know what you're so up to. It's
1: all about hard work. Yeah, uh, my whole career is about
0: hard work, which is a perfect segue. Like you know you've had some embarrassing stories along the way like the blockbuster thing, but all that being said, you committed to your craft. You were reading when when other people were sleeping or partying. You were thinking of ideas to, to grow and expand the business and you worked your way up. What advice would you give to people other than just putting in the hard work? Clearly, that's how you got to where you are. And, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. We have hammered home that theme with the other guests that I've had. Hard work, hard work, hard work. What other advice do you have for somebody who's either trying to break into the business or somebody who's just a couple of years in that wants to become the president of a company like you were able to do at Terra Nova? Well,
1: today, social media is huge. So you know, Tim Butterfield, sure. right? Philip Edison. He was six months in the business and he goes, well, social media, like I have nothing to talk about. I'm brand new in the business. I said, what well, do you like to, you know, what do you like to do? What are your passions? He said, well, I like to read. I said, great. Start posting on LinkedIn Tuesdays with Tim and, you know, talk about a book you're reading, but you have to get attention. So if you're new in the business, you may not be with the company you're with a year from now, two years from now. You need to get known. You need to attend conferences. You need to cold call and meet people you don't know. Meet people and have those people introduce you to other people because you've had a few jobs. Did those jobs come from people you knew who introduced you to those jobs? Or did those jobs come from you applied through an online job source recruiter. I think they all came from people you knew.
0: Yeah. Well, the peb job I landed, DLC and, and Pico came through the same person, actually, Stuart Miller, who I'm forever grateful for. And then the peb job came from me calling David Pauline. So I knew David. David is a transactional executive search guy. So I guess it came through a recruiter in the application process, but it took me knowing David and having a relationship with David. I, I don't look at David as... Somebody that I just picked up the phone and cold called, like we had had a relationship prior to.
1: Yeah. And then when Peb was interviewing you, you know who they called?
0: They called you? Yeah. I didn't know that.
1: Oh, yeah. They called me. They go, Do you know this guy, Aaron Zucker? And I said, He's in the top five of leasing agents in the country.
0: Well, thank you. I had no idea that you had a major role in helping that probably. That, and I was always wondering why they took that chance on me. That probably had a lot to do with it. So I'm.
1: So it's, so I think it's important to expand your base. And again, when you're new, you know, you did it. You can do a whole podcast on how you did it. When I was in Park City for Phillips Edison, there were probably 40 leasing agents there. But when I left Park City, I remembered one really well, the 22 year old who just bludgeoned me with questions at the bar for like 40 minutes.
0: Sorry about that. I'm... No, but, <laughs> but
1: that, the point is, is who did I remember the most when I left? So that's what young people can do. And also I think young people can ask, they can go up to someone. What we used to do at Terra Nova is we'd have a business card collection contest at ICSEs and we'd give awards to whoever got the, like, the best card, like the head of real estate for Publix. And like, well, what do we talk about? I said, just ask them advice. Just say, what's one piece of advice you could give me, I'm 22, I just
0: started in the business. That's, that is great advice is to leverage the advice platform. The rookie, the rookie like, hey, I'm new, like pull that lever. People well, it, love to help people.
1: Exactly, they love to help people. And most young people think they've got, the vets don't want to know anything from you, but they will help you. Right. And then what's really important is to follow back around and go, hey, you gave me that advice. This is how I used it. Because no one does that. No one follows back with the vet and says, thank you. You know, I met you at the ICSC at Nexus. You told me about this. I tried it. It worked. Thank you so much. The rookie that does that will
0: exceed. And that is not, you don't have to be born a certain way. like That, that is just purely just executing and, and just taking the advice. It's be, like this business is not overly complicated. It's not. And, and the secret sauce is put out there on how to do it. And most people just choose not to follow it.
1: They don't execute.
0: Right. If, if you're just willing and able to put in the work and execute, it, it's amazing what can happen. And I, I think that's incredibly valuable advice that you're giving out to people. So I, I appreciate that. So you became president of Terra Nova, but you didn't want that role. No. What did you want out of your career then?
1: What, I was what... just happy making a lot of money and having a good time. Got it. And I liked what I was doing. Got it. I hated tenant rep. I was running around with home goods for two years in South Florida. Uh, two years, lots of lunches, lots of dinners, lots of breakfast, lots of gas, and just lots of time. And back then, again, not, we didn't have iPads. So we had three three-ring binders. I had 18 LOIs out. And Don Smith calls from TJ Maxx and said, I hate to tell you this, but we're not coming to South Florida. And that was the last tenant rep I ever did. Got I said, it. that's it. And I, I did LA Fitness. I did... I was hired to represent LA Fitness in South Florida. Did it for 3 years, did 3 deals. Back then gyms were not welcome in any shopping center. 3 deals, 3 years and I said, life's too short. And and they were nice and they wanted to do deals, but it was just too hard too slow. And I remember calling Jim Petrarca at the shopping center group and saying, or I called my friend Ann Featherston and said, I'm going to give up this LA Fitness account who maybe one of your younger guys want to take it. And now I think Jim's done about a hundred deals.
0: Right. Yeah. I was going to say you I'm gave away waiting, some money. On I'm that. still
1: waiting for a thank you note on that. After I sold those two shopping centers for principal, I didn't do that any, anymore. The whole idea of putting those big books together, not interested. So I tasted and tried a lot of things but I really love leasing you and I love just, teaching.
0: So you basically just did what you loved and, and the results came that you may or may not have wanted, but it, it turns out that you were destined to do that stuff, like yeah. becoming president of Terranova. So you're running Terranova. You have some things change at home. You have these wonderful children.
1: Yes, yeah, so uh, you know, I the year before he wanted me to be the president, I said, I'm going to take a year off and just go be a leasing agent. And I was the executive vice president. And he had been pushing me to be the president. I said, I can't be the president. I, I'd like to have a child. And the reason I'm not having a child, I think is because of the stress. And I wasn't going to go through in vitro or anything. My husband and I were like, if God gives us a child, great. And if he doesn't, no problem. So I literally left the executive vice president position. I went out to Pompano Beach where we had a property and I was the on-site leasing agent for nine months. And I, I, I gave up supervision of the leasing team. I worked about, we had just bought a new house. I spent more time decorating the house, at least one, one deal. And there was three anchor deals to be done. So I worked on the three anchor deals. And after nine months, we didn't get pregnant. And Steven said, okay, I really need you to come back and be the president. And if you do for two years, there's a huge payday. And I'm like, okay, we're not pregnant. We tried. I go back. I become the president. I didn't know how to read a financial statement. I was a glorified leasing agent.
0: Me too. When I started Dick, even in 14 months, like I'm almost embarrassed at how little I knew about finance and yeah. how little I, I knew I, yeah. about construction. Uh, and
1: yeah, it was <laughs> a lot of lessons there too, for another podcast. So I become the president in August of 97 and in November of 99, I found out I was pregnant okay. and I was three months pregnant when I found
0: out. Oh, wow.
1: I had no idea. <laughs> got it. <laughs> my so, assistant.
0: So we'll apologize to Alex now for the wine that you were drinking. In the... Oh my
1: gosh. It actually, Pinehurst was the uh, location where it all got, happened. We were at a, on a golfing trip with a, an FSU. We went to Virginia and to North Carolina. And in the middle, we went to Pinehurst. And that's where we, ha- we made that little baby, which was awesome. Alex. And so I got pregnant. And then, you know, yay. That was great. I love being a mom. And then years later, I adopted Mario.
0: Sure, and I think it's important to talk about Alex and Mario because they... well,
1: Alex is the reason I left Carinova. That's yeah, that's where I'm going. So Alex was four, and my I'm divorced now. I divorced my husband when Alex was one, unfortunately. And my nanny, I had a live-in full-time nanny, and I would race home every night trying to see him, and I'd get home at you know seven thirty, eight, eight thirty, and he's asleep. Yeah, and so now he's like. Three years old my mom passes away and i'm i just said okay i am now 43 and i have a son and i'm a single mom i need to do something else i can't run a company with 125 people and work 80 hours a week so it took me almost a year to negotiate you know six months to get Stephen to let me go and you know he was mad at me for probably five after
0: i have chills thinking about because I know how much you love working, and how much you probably loved being at Nova. But I also know how much you love Alex and Mario. What was that time like? I mean,
1: great. It was hard to make the decision, but I knew I had to make the decision. I knew I wanted to be a mom. And leaving was easy because I knew once I had made the decision that I'm going to put this piece of my world behind me. But it was hard. I mean, look, the Miami Herald called. I mean, it was a big deal in Miami sure, when I resolved, sure, yeah. Right? It was a big deal. And he was mad. But Alex was the number one priority.
0: Sure. Easy decision to make. I'm not questioning the the But, but I, got, the I, was decision. So, I had
1: so much fun. I, I became a room mom you know, for his pre-K school class. I became the T-ball coach. So for six months, I just slept and was a good mom. You know, got I it. caught up in my sleep. And I went back to school because when I actually, when I left Florida State, I left for three incompletes and had did not get my degree.
0: Whoa. Okay. I didn't know that.
1: On my mother's deathbed, she said, please go back and get your degree. Oh,
0: that is a good reason to go do it.
1: So I did that also in the two years following Terranova.
0: I'm going to ask you questions that you may or may not be comfortable answering, but what made Steven so upset with you to make that decision? Because I
1: betrayed him and I left him.
0: I understand that, but you also had a child. Like He certainly understood. No,
1: but he said, I'll do anything. You can go to 20 hours a week. I was not capable of that, right? Got it. He said, "You cannot, I'll come back and be the president.
0: So that's why he was upset, was that he was willing to be flexible with you in any capacity and you still, in his viewpoint, which is understandable, shut Correct. him out.
1: Right, and I had helped him build the company. My middle name was Terranova, so he just felt betrayed. And for sure, I would not be here without what he did for my career. So right. I understand it, but right. I also knew that if I stayed, it might've worked for a month or two, but I would have been back working 80 hours a week. There's no way that right. I could have been in any other role there. It would have kept coming to me because I wasn't really great leader. So it would have been hard even when you
0: I knew was, you had to quit cold turkey. I
1: had to quit cold turkey and we hired Trish Blasi to take over from me. She was my successor. And the day before she started, I moved out of my corner office. I was there for three more weeks to help in the transition. I moved into a small cubicle so that she could have the corner office so that people could, and they still didn't go to her. I had to get out of there so that everyone could have a clear. Yeah,
0: yeah, I get that. You're friends with Steven today. I am. How did that relationship come back together? Just time? Did time heal the wound or?
1: Time healed the wound. But Mindy, it's not a secret. Mindy's sick. Mindy has Parkinson's disease, and she's the president of Terra Nova. And when she got sick, we all rallied around her, and I stepped up financially. He wanted to raise money for research. and I was in Spain when I heard, and I sent an anonymous donation, but he knew that it was me, and then he called me in Spain and said, "Could you do me a favor and not make it anonymous? You know, make it known because the number that you donated, other people will step up stronger. And so I did that, even though I felt uncomfortable doing that.
0: It's for the greater good though. But It
1: was for the greater good. And exactly that happened. More people stepped up at higher amounts. And I think he was grateful for that. And that turned the tide. The turmoil
0: bonded you guys back together. Yeah. Got it. I can relate to having a relationship with somebody that owns the company and and being so close to them in a, a family office. I mean, Terra Nova is big, but it's still a family office in the sense that... And, and I know Steven feels that way about it. So the fact that you guys were able to mend your relationship is amazing to me because I know how much you care about him. And I know he obviously thinks the absolute world of you. I'm going to totally shift gears here and, and get back to something that's not so heartfelt, if you will. How do you navigate your weaknesses?
1: Oh, Learning. One of my weaknesses currently is I'm developing a property. I need to learn more of what I'm doing. And I was on a round table yesterday learning that. So I, you know, I learn, but I also don't believe in spending a lot of time on that. I'm 59. So I want to really double down and triple down on my strengths and outsource and hire out for my weaknesses. Got it. But if I can be here and go sit at a round table and, and talk to a guy about development feasibility, for 30 minutes and maybe learn one new thing, I'll do that because that versus sitting at a table on social media.
0: Sure, sure. We've all come to the conclusion that you're, you're doing okay at social media. I think so. Yeah, no, you're doing I phenom- try. You're doing a phenomenal job. And if for whatever reason you don't follow about that, I'd highly recommend doing so. So we'll, we'll kind of wrap up with a few more rapid fire questions because I know you got to go. What's the one book that changed your life?
1: God, there's so many, but I think, you know, I have the book club and the, the number one book in the book club was Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. First one, wasn't it? No, it wasn't the first one. Definitely wasn't, but it, it is.
0: I feel like that was the first book of book club.
1: Well, you weren't there was a book club years before.
0: Oh, well, so well I know.
1: Um, that was an amazing book. And to this day, people stop me and say what an amazing book that was. So the whole line in that book where you have a prospect then they go radio silent and you, you know, text them or email this them is and say, dead. Yeah, so I'm assuming we should move on from this, right? Because you're not interested anymore. Ha, that has turned more deals for me. Really? Yeah. And when someone recommended the book, I thought, I'm really good at negotiation. Like, never split the difference. A book on negotiations, what, what am I going to learn? And I, it blew me away. Like, I remember posting on social on page six. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. I had learned like five things on page six.
0: Right. It is a great book. I read it. Great Obviously, book. Obviously, it's a part of your book club, which...
1: People keep asking me to do that book again. Seriously. That's how strong... Wow. Yeah.
0: Wow. Okay. So that's a good one. Read Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference. This question is one that I've gotten some interesting answers on, and I'm certainly excited to get yours. So at some point, you are not going to be in real estate anymore, whether if it's through your choice to not be in the the business anymore, or I mean, we are unfortunately inevitably all going to die at some point. Hopefully for, for us, it's not for a long, long, long time. but you are going to move on from this business either by choice or by nature. And ICSC is going to write an article saying legendary advisor, trainee, shopping center owner, Beth Azor is no longer in the business for whatever reason. Look, I know your morals. You're obviously a great person and you want your family to remember you a certain way. How do you want this industry to remember you? How do you what do you want your commercial real estate legacy to be like?
1: My mission in life is three words, impact people positively. That's my mission. Okay. So I would like the people of ICSE to think that I did that, Did I impact people positively. That's all.
0: I can tell you with full confidence that if you decided to go move to Hawaii tomorrow, people would be upset only because they wouldn't get the opportunity to listen to you and hear your messages and hear your gospel. And you've already done so much of that already and embodied that. And with that being said, I'm so honored that you took the time to talk to me.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: No, it's it's been an absolute pleasure having you. And I think that everybody out there that's listening has has certainly appreciated your insight, your vulnerability, how honest you are, how approachable you are. I would highly encourage you again to follow Beth on social media, say hello to her at a conference. She's super approachable byproduct of that. And I just can't tell you how humbled I am. And thank you for joining.
1: Thank you, Aaron. And thanks. Keep bringing me deals to invest. in. if you haven't talked to Aaron about his investments, you should. I'm excited to be his partner. And I look forward to him bringing me deals when I am in Hawaii. And
0: I'm not doing this anymore. There you go. I'll slip be your check uh, later on for, for the plug. Thank you. There you go. I well, thank
1: you guys for having me.
0: Yep. Thanks, Beth. Thanks for listening to Limitless. If you like what you heard, it would mean the absolute world to me if you took a little bit of your time to subscribe. If not, perhaps even leaving a review, good, bad, or indifferent. And please feel free to reach out to me directly on my LinkedIn page or on our website, zuckerinvestmentgroup.com.